This is episode number 46, a 2018 check-in with myself and my husband, Matt Iwanis. Welcome or welcome back to The Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about mindset, inspiring stories, and plant-based nutrition to give you the tools to live a high-performance life. You can reframe it all you want, and it doesn't always work out either. So it's hard to just sit there with the discomfort and not make an excuse. And when someone says, oh, well, how did your race go? And I say, well, I came fifth and then just leave it. And I feel my insides start crawling because all these things happen and I want to make every excuse. And it's to save face. It's to save ego. And we are afraid of what people think. And, you know, that's really hard. It's hard to worry about that. And people that say, oh, I don't care what people think. They're lying because everybody cares what somebody thinks. Today is pretty fun because we're just sitting in the living room and Matt is with me. Hello, everybody. And we're going to just talk about how the year is going. There's been a lot going on this year. I know everybody has been through winter, the very long winter and being sick. And there's just a lot of different topics that we want to discuss. But first, I want to thank our podcast sponsor, Kuat racks. And I'm pretty excited about these racks because they are super lightweight. So for me, I have a hitch rack on my car and I don't always leave the rack. I will take the rack off and leave it in my garage at times because a lot of times I ride my bike to the trail. So having a lightweight rack is pretty awesome because I don't want to carry a super heavy rack and I probably will just avoid putting the rack on altogether. So check out Kuat racks at kuatracks.com. And if you have a rack, take a screenshot of it and tag both of us on social media because we want to see you, your bike, and your bicycle rack. All right, so let's get into the show. We are trying something different today. We are recording the show on Instagram Live as well. So if people are watching this show, this will be out in about, I guess this will be out next week, but we're recording the show live, which makes things really interesting. So first of all, I asked people if they had any questions to email in and a few people wrote in some questions. So Matt's going to read them and then he also is going to comment as well, but we wanted to get started with this. So here's the first one. All right. Question number one. So, Sonia, since you do a lot of longer endurance type races and train with Trainer Road, what is your main focus? Is power building a benefit or a hindrance to the endurance stamina you need for a longer ride? I would love a FTP of 400 watts. <laughs> so would I. So would I. <laughs> but would I be better off training at two to four hours per ride at 150 watts for 100 miler training, sort of more specifically? All right, so it sounds like the question is, what is the best way to train for endurance mountain biking using a trainer and or power? So- And I'd just like to already interject yep. and say, thank you for having a very specific question. One of the challenges you have when you ask general questions about endurance training and racing from very talented racers, they just say, I go as hard as I can for as long as I can. So thank you, whoever wrote the question, for being specific. <laughs> yeah, Matt can definitely attest to that because he'll say, well, he's asked me and Corey Wallace, like, how do you race? And we just say, well, we just go as hard as we can for 100 miles. But that means something different. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so to answer this question, to answer your question is, no, it's not good to just go two to four hours at 150 watts all the time. Basically, you want to do, and this is what everybody hears about, is periodized training, but periodized training is going to be different for everybody. So number one, you want your easy days to be really easy. So a lot of times I do ride two to four hours at 150 watts, and today would be a prime example of that. I did a three and a half hour mountain bike ride, mostly just riding on dirt roads, and I just kept it easy. But for if you want to build power and stamina for a long endurance race, the best way to do it is to do sweet spot training. And what that means is training just below your threshold, below that seven out of 10 pain zone for your perceived effort to figure that out. So I like doing that for 10 to 15 minutes. So you do 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes on, and then 10 to 15 minutes riding easy, and then you do it again. And in theory, you do that three to four times. And that's how you build endurance power over time. And that's the workout. That's the main workout that I've been actually prescribing to Reggie Miller, who I'm coaching. And he's seen a lot of massive benefits from that. Yeah. And I think that it's really helpful to have coach or professional that can test you to tell you where your different threshold points are, whether it be anaerobic or, or however you want to measure it. And everyone has different systems. But for those who don't have testing or haven't done a test, 
um, you mentioned your perceived effort and being about a seven out of 10. So maybe can you just describe a little bit more what sweet spot should feel like for those that don't do testing or haven't tested? Yeah, and what a seven out of 10 actually feels like. Yeah, what's a 10 out of 10? Uh, well, it's, it's hard to describe that, but that's a really great question. Like a 10 out of 10 is when you're sprinting. Like you are just killing it on your bike, riding as hard as you possibly, like you're standing up and you know you're not gonna be able to sustain that for very long, like maybe 30 seconds to a minute, maybe two minutes max. You're like breathing super hard, your body's on fire and you wanna die. That's what a 10 out of 10 feels like. A seven out of 10 feels like, okay, like this is pretty hard. I think I can keep going, but I'm not sure. And really you have to work on <laughs> learning how long you can push that pace. So it's really hard to describe, but you have to ask yourself, can I go this hard for 10 minutes? And if the answer is yes, then that's probably the right pace to start at. If you do that workout and you're doing those 10 minute efforts over and over and you're not tired at the end, then you're not going hard enough. So you want to be somewhere in between, oh my gosh, like this is pretty hard to finish this workout. And okay, like that was not so hard that it wasn't achievable. Right. So it sounds like you want to be able to do at least one or two intervals comfortably and then start suffering you don't want to be doing 10 intervals, but you don't want to do one and blow yourself up and have to go home. Yeah. And I think that that's why Trainer Road is a really great resource to start with because they have like, it's an FTP test. I don't think it's an absolute FTP test. And I'll say that because I've seen different results and your FTP can vary. FTP is your functional threshold power. That's like the power that that's the max power you're going to be able to sustain from a physiological level without completely depleting everything and, and being unsustainable. So Trainer Road has these two different FTP tests, I believe, and they'll give you a range. They'll give you like a hash mark on where you should start. And all of the workouts are relative to that hash mark that you've made. And then you can adjust that accordingly to see how you're gonna feel. But if you're in Trainer Road, you can actually search by sweet spot workouts. And there's some pretty hard ones in there, but my favorite kind of go-to workouts are the ones that are the 10 to 15 repeated efforts. Awesome. All, all right. right, number two. And the question is, I would love to hear about any efforts you make specifically with regards to aging. For example, maintaining bone mass density, agility, strength, speed, and oh, grace and humor. Grace and humor, man, at any age, that's really important. <laughs> so something pretty interesting was I, I did a, I had a podcast party last night with this guy. He's going to be on the show soon. His name is Aaron Keith Hawkins, but I went on his show and then immediately we recorded him on my show. So it was like two hours straight of podcasting and I'm starting to lose my train of thought. But oh, I, I was saying that whatever, what I do is I'll look at a hill, like I'll be in a race. And sometimes it's like so many people walking and it's like a nightmare for some, because they just think, oh my gosh, that hill is so long. I'm going to have to walk. And oh, it's so awful. But I've trained myself to laugh at those situations and and to actually, I don't know, when I see extreme adversity, I laugh. And sometimes it's not really forced anymore. It used to be like I would force myself to smile and force myself to change my frame of mind. But really, like your perception of that event is your reality. So if you choose to perceive something as being horrible, well, guess what? It's going to suck. Um, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, the, the Andalusia bike race and the conditions there. But really, like we have a choice of how we want to perceive something and it's a muscle. You have to work at it. So to have more grace and humor in your life, choose, choose it. That's good advice. And then what about agility, strength, speed? You know, I, perhaps the question might be for someone a little bit older than you who I don't know that you're probably as an athlete because an athlete's lifespan and aging as an athlete is much shorter than I would say the average individual because as a top level athlete, you have only so many years. I don't think that you're at unless the, you're Tinker Juarez. Yeah, unless you're Tinker. <laughs> I gotta have Tinker on the show. That'd be really Only interesting. Do you have awesome hair. You have the, that's right. the longest career of all time. That's right. But yeah, so perhaps it might be a question for someone who's maybe a little bit close to the end of your career. You're probably pretty squarely in the middle, so you probably aren't worried currently about your body feeling different than it did five years ago or ten years ago when you were when you're training. Would that be fair? Well, it is fair. I think maybe he's just asking in general about just like aging because they tell you that, okay, over I think age 50, you're supposed to do some strength training and that helps you maintain bone mass. And my father-in-law, your father, he is 70 years old. It's so weird because I know George and I think about George and he just doesn't seem like, a, like 70 sounds ancient. <laughs> and like, I think of what my grandparents were like when they're 70 and they just, and maybe it's cause I was so young, but they just seem so old. 
So it just, he doesn't seem that old to me and he shreds on his bike. So, but he said that you need to do like high intensity work for hormone levels. And I, I don't know what the research is, but that's what he said. Yeah, I think he believes in two things is, is definitely getting high intensity, not just going and puttering around. So not, not every day hammering your brains out. So high intensity being important. And then he does a lot of like, he would call them floors. And, and that might be a throwback to like, you know, exercise classes in the 80s or something. But I think it's mostly like sit-ups, push-ups, body weight exercise. He does those religiously every day to mm -hmm. keep his core strength up, upper body, so that, you know, he recently took a gap jump and didn't land it well and, you know, fractured a vertebrae and broke some ribs. and Like his so, sternum or something. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah, he fractured his sternum. But that being said, he bounced up pretty good. And he's, you know, back out. That was a few weeks, uh, maybe a month ago now. And he's out jogging and hiking and he'll be back on his bike in about a month or two. But that's because he had the muscle density and strength to take a hit at 70, get up and go to the hospital <laughs> <laughs> and then get laughed at by his son and keep going. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think that's also a great point is a lot of times people will say, well, I'm 40, I'm too old to start mountain biking. And that tends to be the age for some reason that people think they're too old to start mountain biking. But like George is 70 and he took a bad crash and he's back up again and he's going to get riding. So you're never too old to start mountain biking. You choose to be too old. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that fear of crashing again and falling. And yeah. you know what? You may fall and you may even break a bone, but it's, you know, as much as it might hurt at the time, it's very temporary. You heal and you get back up and you keep going. And it's pretty rare. Like, you know, it's very rare that you're going to have that kind of an injury. But thankfully, you heal and you keep going. And I think that we're afraid of the anticipation of the pain of what it would feel like to fall down. Like our anticipation of so many different things is always worse well, it's not always worse, but usually it's worse than the actuality. Like think of when you're a kid and you're in trouble and you're like super worried about what your parents are going to do when they react. And it ends up generally not being as bad as you thought. Maybe it, uh, there were times where it was and the same goes for crashes and pain. And even when you're like, like for me, I, sometimes I get anxiety about the pain that I'm going to put myself through in a race and the actual pain during the race isn't nearly as bad, but the anticipation of the pain is sometimes just, it's intimidating. So don't be worried about the pain of crashing. Yeah, we got a comment here that Ricky XC's friend, best friend's 80 year old dad is still mountain biking. That's yeah. awesome. See, no reason not to. No reason not to. And I have one more comment about aging and this comes from Brenda Davis who wrote the book, Becoming Vegan. And this isn't necessarily just vegan nutrition, but generally as you become, <laughs> Sorry to use this word, but as you become geriatric, <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's like, I guess the medical description, we're just going to go with it. We're just going to go with it, but you need more protein, especially as a, a vegan, you need a bit more protein as you age. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. And I think that's not even that old. I think in your fifties, geriatric 50 year olds that get out there and shred neon bikes. Yeah. More, the older you get, the more protein you need. So are 50s geriatric? That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm going to start using that because <laughs> there's someone in particular, if you're listening, you're 50 plus and I'm going to be calling you geriatric, geriatric and I think you know who you are. Well, recently there's some makeup done and I think he actually does look geriatric. He does look geriatric in that movie coming out. We're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about our boy Reggie. So next question. <laughs> next question is, and maybe more importantly, Sonia, how do you choose a bike race? Because you get to go anywhere in the world and do any kind of race you want. And I'll preface that a little bit by saying Sonia has built her career specifically so she has control over the races she does. There's a lot of advantages to being on a lot of the teams, but often there's some restriction in terms of what you get to do. Sonia has zero. So when she chooses a race, it's just based on her criteria and what she wants to do. So what do yeah, you choose and why? That's a great question. So there's multiple schools of thought. Like some people chase UCI points. And the reason you'd want to chase UCI points is if you're trying to go to the Olympics. And... I've thought about that before, like, oh, do I want to actually chase that dream, chase trying to go to the Olympics with cross country? But the reality is that I haven't really done any cross country in almost a decade. So UCI points isn't really something that I chase. It's kind of fun to be like, oh, look at my world ranking. But I typically just don't chase UCI points. I'm looking for, is it going to be an adventure? And that is number one. Like I've been to races where it's like, oh, it's, it's a UCI race or it's like a big race, but it doesn't feel any different than being at home in the United States or in Canada. And for me, I want to be uncomfortable, not in the sense of like, oh, this sucks, I'm uncomfortable, but I want this to be different. I want this to be something that I'm going to remember. And the races that are all kind of like they are in North America, there's things that make them stand apart. But the ones that really made an imprint on myself as a human being 
have been the ones that have either been a crazy adventure or and or have been in third world countries because they're really different from anything that you've ever experienced before. And the courses aren't always the best. Like sometimes they're on just like really bumpy dirt roads, but having these races and having these experiences that you won't forget where you see something and it changes you forever. That's what I'm going for. And a lot of times actually, if I don't know exactly where the country is, or I don't know exactly what the culture, like if I don't, I'm not sure what the culture is like there, that is even more of a draw for me to go. So yeah, like I love races that are adventure and that are cultural experience that are just different. And that's how I choose a race. Cool. And I think one of the things that that Sonia and I talked about is maybe categorizing the types of races in different parts of the world. But generally, and this is a very broad generalization, generally North American races tend to be more technical, more single track focused and more skills focused. Which is awesome. <laughs> which is amazing. We're really lucky um, to have that here. Yeah. And when you go internationally, that tends to be a smaller component of the race that's still there in most of the races. But if you're at 80% technical riding here, out there you're at 20 to 30 but adventure and cultural experience starts to be more of a premium so if you're in it for the technical shred you probably want to be in north america yeah for single track quality for sure and i don't know if it's out yet i wrote an article for dirt rag magazine and it's the ultimate guide to stage racing so like i literally don't know if it's been published but keep an eye on dirt rag magazine maybe some of you have an issue at your house right now you can look at and tell me if it's in there but that detail is actually in there like how to pick a race Awesome. All right. And I think this is the last question we have. How do I feel? Or when I say I, I mean Sonia. Oh, actually, there's one more. There's, there's two, there are two there's, total. There's two more. Should we, should, we'll do the, we'll do the e-bikes last because that'll probably be the most interesting one. But the question before that is what made you decide to start a plant-based diet and did you have any issues? Yeah. So we're going to actually keep this, answer this question short because we could probably use the entire podcast uh, to talk about this. I would recommend going back if you want more details. There's tons of episodes we've recorded with experts on plant-based nutrition from a bunch of different avenues, whether they be world-class dietitians or doctors or nurses or athletes. So I recommend uh, going back. But I changed my diet actually because of Matt. <laughs> like everybody thinks, oh, like you, like being vegan or being plant-based, that's kind of like a woman thing or a feminine thing. And people always tend to be surprised when it was Matt who actually influenced me. I have to steal from Rip Esselstyn, which is real men eat plants. Have you ever seen him too? Because of the chin-ups up the, the uh, fire station pole? It's unreal. The guy's so strong. Oh, I haven't seen it, but yeah. I did interview him on the show in July, and he was talking about things. things. <laughs> uh, how do I say this without with, in the way There's, that I want to no, say one it? One of the biggest advantages of a plant-based diet is it increases the blood flow to all parts of your body, shall we say. So... You're not going to have limp dick if you're <laughs> on a plant-based diet without, you know, sorry if, I, offend, sorry if it, I offended anybody with that, but I, I had to say it. Yeah. Okay. So why did I decide is I watched Forks Over Knives, which is a must-see documentary. Highly recommend it. And I saw that there is a lot of evidence, science, that shows that eating a whole foods plant-based diet prevents and reverse most of the diseases that in our lives. And that was a big deal. Like, I don't want to die prematurely. I love being alive so much. And our view of aging is that, oh, well, we're just going to get old and get sick and die. And it's going to be terrible to be old. But that's not how it has to be. So that really inspired me. And I started doing some of my own research and watching more documentaries, reading more papers, seeking out that information. And then I decided to try. Like, let me give this a try and see what happens. And if I don't like it, I can go back. Like, change doesn't have to be permanent. So I tried it and I felt awesome. Like I was so surprised. And if you want to read how I did it, go to my blog. It's on there. It's a post called that thing. I never mentioned. I eat a plant-based diet and my recovery was better. My energy was better. I started winning more races. Like it gave me more mental clarity. So like for me, that's the cliff's notes of why I changed my diet. How about you, Matt? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was the same thing it was health driven. I mean, as an athlete, as an endurance athlete, the equation of power to weight is really important. It was easy to manage my weight, which was a nice benefit, but that has no reason <laughs> why we started or why I started changing my diet. It had to do with health. Yeah, the, the benefits really are fundamentally, it just increases your body's ability to move oxygen and blood through your body. It, it's more effective at that. So as an athlete, that will give you an advantage. As a human being who doesn't want to die from heart attack and heart disease and cancer, it's also an advantage. So 
There's all kinds of great research. We're fans of evidence-based nutrition. So it's wonderful to have discussions about different research articles that, that promote different things. And I suggest that, that you go down that path as much as you can. And we also talk to medical professionals, friends of ours that were doctors, cardiologists, and pick their brains about the articles that we'd read and, and how credible they were. So do your own research, get to your own place, and I'd say check it out. It will make a difference. And it's also important to note just quickly that a lot of doctors don't have any background in nutrition. It's not part of their education. So if a doctor has education in nutrition, it's probably been something that they've seeked out on their own. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's uh, at least in Canada, I can say after speaking to some friends, it's definitely not part of the curriculum. But that doesn't mean your doctor will not have training, like you said, if they've you know, seeked it out on their own and they may have it. All right, so last question. How do you, Sonia, feel about e-bikes? Yeah, so this was definitely a loaded question and you guys probably aren't gonna, I don't know, like I'm not gonna take a stand. I don't really think that people need to take a stand on e-bikes. Like why does there have to be this line in the sand where you're either for e-bikes or against it and causing all this like craziness around it, all this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Drama? Yeah, drama and like, it shouldn't be a separating issue. Like we want people to ride bikes. And I do understand that, you know, there's like, okay, is this now a motorized vehicle on a trail? Is it, does it count as that? And I don't know all the details. I don't know all the information about that. So I can't speak about that. But my opinion on e-bikes is if you want to ride an e-bike, ride an e-bike, have fun. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And like some people think, oh, well, it's cheating. But cheating compared to what? If you want to ride an e-bike, ride an e-bike. Yeah, it's cheating that you get to train 15 hours a week and I only train three and and you crush me and that's cheating. Like, you know, it's all relative. Yeah, or like e-bike, like if my, I don't think my dad's going to listen, but if he's listening, <laughs> you know, like it'd be sweet if I had an e-bike and he could ride the e-bike and we could ride together for longer. Like he's a new mountain biker and that would be really cool. And even like on a recovery day, I would not mind a little bit of assistance on the uphill <laughs> because I like to go mountain biking or, or riding. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah. I think if you want to ride an e-bike, ride an e-bike. I'm in. Sold. Yeah. And someone on Instagram just said e-bike is better than another car on the road. And I agree 100%. Yeah, it is about getting out. It's about getting more people on bikes. It's about enjoying the outdoors. And any way that needs to happen, we need to break down the barriers of people getting out on bikes. And it's hard to be fit. It takes a lot of work to get fit. So I think that if it's going to lower the barrier of entry for people, then that's awesome. Very good. All right, so we're going to switch gears now a little bit because we wanted to make this kind of a 2018 Q1 check-in type of thing, but because there's been a lot of things that have happened this year, a lot of challenges. I don't want to say bad things, but just like a lot of challenges and a lot of uh, disappointments. And yeah, I just want to talk about those things because it's very easy to look at somebody's life from the outside because I do this all the time. I'm on social media. I'm like looking up to all of these different people and it looks like everything's amazing in their life and everything's perfect. And it's helpful for me to know the reality of what's actually going on. And to me, it's important to be transparent and to be vulnerable because that's what makes you relatable. And that's what builds human connection. Like we all want connection. That's why we listen to podcasts. That's why we go on social media. That's why we do everything. And I think that whenever you don't like, I don't think people should be out there like complaining and being negative all the time, but being real is what builds connection. So that's why I wanted to do this. So we can talk about some of the things that have happened so far this year and like where we're at. Yeah. And I think when you look up to people, and I think we all do this. We all want to put our best foot forward. We don't want to be out there seen to be complainers because, you know, it's important to be positive and set an example for people. But that doesn't mean that it's sometimes hard behind the scenes. And when you look up to people and you only get to see snippets of their lives, you sort of glorify how easy it must be for them or how they haven't had to overcome challenges in the same way maybe you have. So there's something nice to hear from people that you may look up to that, yeah, this wasn't always easy. It was hard. And here's where I'm struggling right now but we're going to get ahead of this and, and get in front of it and it's going to be fine. So yeah, I think for Sonia, I mean, at the start of this year, this has probably been a really challenging quarter from a training and racing perspective. We started off the year with some big goals. We wanted to go to uh, Chile and race there at a stage race there. And we got caught with the bug that probably took down, I don't know, it seems like 80% of everybody. <laughs> the flu. <laughs> the flu. The flu. And it totally crushed us. So right out of the gates, not only did we not get the training we wanted, but we didn't even get to go to this race that we signed up for. And we missed hanging out with our friends and 
Lost money. <laughs> yeah, all those things. So yeah. that was kind of the start of the year, right out of the gates, like January 1. Yeah, that was like literally January 1. But previous to that, I have to say, because also it's important to take credit for your successes. And that's something that I'm working on, celebrate your successes. And yeah, I'm really proud of my preparation in November and December. Like I kept joking. It, it was like I was a real professional athlete for a short period of time where I was really focused on my training and doing all the right things because typically I actually don't do that. I don't do, I'm not a very good professional athlete. I'm an unprofessional I call myself the unpro, <laughs> which is a little bit demeaning uh, to myself, but it's kind of true. I'm kind of an unpro. So, so yeah, everything was going awesome. And then we got sick and we had to cancel this race. And then it took a good month or more to crawl out of this hole. Yeah. And it took me almost a month to crawl out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's challenging because psychologically, I think our, the next race that Sonia had lined up was Andalusia, I believe in Spain. And Sonia was really hoping to do well at that race. She had raced it four years ago. And with a great partner, had a good result and was hoping to go back, ride solo and really perform well. There were some really great riders there, some strong Americans. And Sonia was looking forward to getting into the mix and, and just seeing how she would do. It's always challenging coming from North America in the winter. but Especially she, Canada. <laughs> yeah, especially from the igloos we live in. We have to That's crawl. That's right. In Canada, it's, <laughs> it's all igloos and Everywhere. whale, whale and, blubber. I'm a... I eat plant-based except in the winter. I actually eat whale blubber all winter. And we usually have our sled dogs drive us to work. <laughs> um, but anyway, that was the goal. In November, that was the main goal of the first half of the year. Is let's get to Andalusia fit and ready. And Chile was going to be the training camp, basically, to get yeah, there. To ride outside and so, like, yeah, yeah, get the wheels in, underneath you. Lying in bed, kind of like Brian Wilson did. And then not being <laughs> able to train. And then missing the race already put you on the back foot. Yeah, and we actually recorded a podcast called like self, how dealing with self doubt. So yeah, you guys can go back and listen to that. But it was about this. It was about wanting to have a certain level of training and having all your plans fall through, and then having to just accept where you're at and show up and just do your best and be okay with whatever is thrown at you. And that's really hard to actually execute. And I was actually super nervous about the race because I had no first race to do before this. I had no idea where my fitness was. I just hope for the best. And there's like, I actually typically struggle with the nine hour time change for Europe as well. So I just wasn't sure what was going to happen. And it's also like a really big race. And the race kept talking about how I was going to be there and, and all this stuff. So I just was putting all this pressure on myself. So I actually want to read something. I was going to do a social media post about this, but I ended up not. But I wrote this before the prologue of the race. And Matt actually hasn't even heard this yet. It was literally how I was feeling before the race. And I don't even remember what I wrote, to be honest, but I wrote it down because I think it's important to know that it doesn't matter how long you've been racing. I've been racing for 13 years. I've done a lot of races and this never goes away. So I'm going to read it and then we'll get back into the conversation. So, okay. Real pre-race thoughts. Fireside chat. Fireside chat. Here it is. Here's the truth. This is like on Oprah, but there's not going to be any, there's not going to be any tears. And Matt definitely doesn't look like Oprah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I hope I am good enough. I don't feel confident. I don't know if I'm fast or not because this is my first race of the year. What if I don't feel good on my bike? What if I'm not fast? What if I didn't prepare properly? What if something goes wrong? What if I get stuck behind a lot of people and lose time, which did happen. And I actually got punched by a man as I was passing him. Um, what if people think I suck? I wish I had more training. These are all things that you can't control, but I wanted to show you that you can be racing for over a decade and you can still have these thoughts and feelings. When I feel this way, I stop and change my thoughts too. Here's how I change my thoughts when I'm and reframe. I did my best to prepare for this race. I'm going to ride as hard and as smart as I can. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to feel my body working because it feels alive. If I'm hurting, so is everyone else. I'm going to do my best and be proud of how I rode regardless of the results. I value hard work and determination. I'm still lovable if I am not the best. I can do this. I'm ready for this. So that's an example of how I went through a very challenging headspace before this race and then how I continuously had to keep reframing it. And it sounds all fine and dandy how I reframed it, but to be honest, like, I'm still not super stoked with my result. I was fifth at the race, which is one of my worst results ever. But it's, I have to stop and remind myself that like, hey, look, it's not about the results. And the results could be anything. Like 
It could be a race result. It could be how much money you make. It could be the car, like however you want to define success. In bike racing, people define success as your race result. Yeah, we'll get to the thing about getting punched later. Sorry to interrupt my, we're doing an Instagram live. So for those of you listening to the show, yeah, so you can reframe it all you want and it doesn't always work out either. So it's hard to just sit there with a discomfort and not make an excuse. And when someone says, oh, well, how did your race go? And I say, well, I came fifth and then just leave it. And I feel my insides start crawling because all these things happen and I want to make every excuse. And it's to save face. It's to save ego. And we are afraid of what people think. And, you know, that's really hard. It's hard to worry about that. And people that say, oh, I don't care what people think, they're lying because everybody cares what somebody thinks. Oh, there's probably some personality type in there somewhere. <laughs> Someone with a massive Does not care. <laughs> but yeah, no, we want to do well for us. And we want other people to think well of us. I mean, that's just human nature 100%. Yeah. But I think you approach that the right way by saying, you know what? I did my best to get here, prepared the best that I could. There's a point of understanding the inputs that change your performance perhaps negatively or positively. So looking and being critical and deciding what you could have changed and learning and getting better from that experience. That's a positive way to look at it rather than going down the path of, well, this didn't go right and this didn't go right and this didn't go right. So therefore I have excuse, excuse, excuse. Now I've lost the opportunity to learn. So with that in mind, Sonia had a handful of things that that didn't work in her favor. What would you say that you learned from those things after going through that race? Because it was a kind of uniquely challenging race for you. Yeah, and I will just for the sake of the podcast tell you what those things are. But the thing that I was able to do was I was able to accept where I was. And that was very hard because it just wasn't going well. And and I was upset that it wasn't going well. And I, I thought I had a moment. I remember exactly where I was on the course. And I thought to myself, look, like there's hundreds of people passing me right now. This is really hard. Like my ego is, is severely bruised and I'm frustrated that I'm not riding to my potential. I could sit here for the rest of the week and let this ruin my experience. Or I can focus on something else. Like I'm not gonna be able to change how I feel. Like this is how it is, like how my body feels. Like this is how it is. So instead I'm gonna focus on something else. So what I focused on was kind of doing enduro in the race. So I couldn't ride the uphill, I sucked, I was slow. So instead I focused on passing people because it was incredibly, there's so much traffic on the course and it was hard and I am not very confident passing people on single track. So I focused on taking the sketchy line to get around people and being confident with that and being nice about it too. But I had so much fun. And like when you're winning a race, it's hard because you have everything to lose in some ways. Like you or I tend to ride a little bit more conservatively when I'm in the leader's jersey at a stage race on the downhills because I don't want to risk getting a flat tire or having a crash or any of those things. So here, when I had the opportunity, when there was a trail that was open, you know, I had open trail, which didn't happen often, or I had the opportunity to take that sketchy line where I might die, but who cares? I'm going for it. That was awesome. And it was so much fun. And it really changed the race for me. And the weather did too, which we'll get to in a minute. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that you have to control what's controllable and you can't control. Sometimes when your body's not working, it's just not. So turn that around and go, yeah, I'll focus on technical riding because that doesn't, I don't need the engine to be firing at all cylinders <laughs> for that. And then off you go. So that was great. Yeah. And based on like what happened, I still don't really know what happened. I've never had this happen before, but I just like, I didn't really have anything. Like on the first day on the prologue, I had, I felt like I had something, but there's something wrong. Like my hip flexors were burning my upper quads, like across like the band of my upper quad on both legs was burning. And that's really bizarre. Like it felt like I wasn't actually using the rest of my body or my leg muscles. So that was really weird. And then after that, it's just, I was stuck riding in zone three, like at my six out of 10 normal, like at home, if I'm just out riding out five, six out of 10, that was my race pace. And I I couldn't do anything about it. And it was really hard, really hard to swallow that. And I think it was because of the jet lag. And I, I got there early, like I did everything right but my nervous system just did not want to play. And there was a a moment in the race. It was uh, halfway through the third stage where it was like a switch. It was literally like a switch, turn the light on. Someone flicked the light on and then my legs, like my whole body came to life and I literally felt like I was going twice the speed. So, hey, better late than never. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's hard to say like fifth isn't a good result for you, but it's really not that awful when you think about it. But up until that switch went, you were riding in 10th. 
I was. I was 10th in the GC. Like So it was pretty spectacularly <laughs> bad for you. For me. No, I, and, and that's and just, for that me, just for I me. I would be stoked. But again, that's, you know, everyone's different. So with that being said, and unfortunately, like Sonia's, of course, strength is, is endurance and stage racing. And the race ended up having the, the terrible conditions, uh, really wet, really cold, hard for a lot of the riders. Sonia loved it and thrived in it, but they had to shorten pretty much the two, cancel Three. one stage and shorten yeah. two. Where, you know, in a perfect world, the harder it gets, the better it would have been for, for Sony, of course. But, hey, you know, it's, again, that's racing, right? And you've got what you got. And, and kudos to those people that did race well because they put it together when it counted. So, yeah, like there was people there. Like, I have to say the competition there was amazing. Like all the women were just really incredible athletes. And it was close. Like everybody was really strong and it could have been anybody's race. So I, I just want to recognize and acknowledge my competition. Like there was 40 women at the start and everybody was amazing. Everybody worked hard to get there. Everybody was doing their best and it was tough like with, with what happened. So yeah, like what happened was torrential rain, like the trails were rivers. And now I wanna go back to that example from the beginning of the podcast here of seeing the hill and deciding, oh my gosh, look at that stupid hill, I hate that. Or, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And it was hard. I have to say, like when I looked out the window and I saw the rain, my first reaction wasn't, yes, I'm stoked it's raining. This is going to be amazing. That wasn't my first reaction. My first reaction was crap. Like I don't want to race in the rain, but I had to stop. Like what you do is you stop yourself from ruminating and telling a story. And then I had to take a step back and say, well, wait a second. I'm not going to do that. At least I'm not camping. Like I've camped at races where you're stuck in the rain, like you're stuck in your tent because the stage is canceled and your tent is leaking. And like, I've been in some pretty bad situations. So I thought to myself, well, at least I'm in a hotel. Like that's pretty sweet. And that's how I started the changing my headspace around this. And the stages at that race were actually pretty short. They're like three to four hours and, and due to the cancellations and stuff was way less. So you're only gonna really be out there for a couple hours. And really, you're not going to be that uncomfortable. It's just the start that's uncomfortable. So you start going through that and you're like, this is what I was doing. And then I thought, well, it's going to be kind of fun because it's going to be an adventure. It's going to be crazy. And and that's what I love about racing. I love adventure. And in the end, I ended up just like having a blast. Like the mornings, I wasn't excited until I get my mind primed for that. But then I ended up loving it. Like I'm actually glad it rained and that sounds crazy, but that is what I remember about that race. When I look back and a little bit more time needs to go by to forget about like how bad I felt in the beginning. But when I look back, I know that the key moments that make me smile are going to be racing in those conditions, like riding up trails where there's a river coming down the side of the trail and things are slippery, but it's fun. And just hooting and hollering and making that choice and being authentic and enjoying that kind of racing. And I actually loved it. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but that's the best I can do to say how I decided that it was going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. I mean, one of the challenges with a lot of mainstream racing is it gets dumbed down and smoothed out. Everyone has their team manager. I mean, this is different in Europe, I think more so than North America, but everyone's got their team managers and they're handing you bottles and they're taking your bike for you at the end. And they're, you really... You know, if you're a pro, a lot of pros sort of get a different treatment than the the non-pro athletes would get. And that's one of the fun things about doing races that are more adventure style races, because you have to be self-sufficient. You have to deal with your own bikes and, you know, camping situation or living scenario and food and, and manage yourself and not have this sort of little bubble around you. So it's kind of interesting because it actually makes the mental part of racing a lot more important when those variables are thrown into the mix. So when you go to a race like Andalusia, which typically isn't that dramatically difficult, and you see the conditions go to hell and people struggling, you get to see how people respond when they're not used to that spot. And again, that's, I think, also part of the reason why you're able to go from 10th to 5th so quickly was not only was the conditions, conditions technical, and that's one of your strengths as, as a technical rider, but you're mentally strong as well. And some people just flat out quit because it was too hard. Yeah, actually, I felt really bad. The woman who was in the leader's jersey like not everybody's prepared for the weather to turn. And I brought everything because I have been through a lot. Like it, I've been doing stage races for eight years. I've seen everything. And you live in an igloo in Canada. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen everything. So I was prepared, but there were people that weren't prepared and she was winning the race. She was in the leader's jersey and she had to drop out because she felt hypothermic. And that sucks. Like that must have been really hard for her. And I felt really bad for her. I'm sure she was crushed physically, but 
well and emotionally yeah. having to do that like having to get yeah. that far get the jersey and then because you have hypothermia or, or the onset of it to have to drop out that would be hard but yeah like the point is the more you do and the more experiences you have for even the hard like the hard ones those are the things that make you stronger for the future so even those people who that was their first really challenging bad weather race like the next time that happens they're going to be way more mentally strong and it's gonna be a lot easier for them at their next race so i'm not saying that you should go out and just like always just be in these crazy conditions and be miserable but the more you have it's like confidence the more you do the more you realize you can do because you've already been through it once so i think that's actually really good that that happened at that event because that's going to help a lot of people like they might not realize it but it's going to be helpful like later whenever it happens again because it will yeah absolutely and so now now here we are back in in Canada and training again and trying to get things rolling sort of. after the race and yeah sort of so back to the sort of the theme of this year being a challenging year for training and racing for Sonia but coming back home Sonia flew directly to Utah to go to the True Grit and see me race and she was hoping to race but unfortunately it come down with a bit of an, uh, an illness sinus infection flu and had to watch the race, which is a challenge for Sanjay as well. Well, I actually didn't watch. I was riding. She but rode for four I, and a half hours. Just but I didn't race. <laughs> At any rate. Not the best idea, by the way. Not the best recovery <laughs> idea. So then we came back home and Sanjay got full on sick. So since then, she's been physically struggling to get back on point and also taking her business, multiple businesses, launching new businesses to the next level and working, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day. So... The recovery has basically been non-existent on the bike. She's been like sort of a riding zombie, which I should get outside and try and crush her because I might have a chance now. But <laughs> yeah. However, that being said, that's maybe Sonia can talk a little bit about balancing everything in your career because you're not only a professional athlete, you have a successful podcast, you've launched a lifestyle brand, you write articles regularly, you speaking, you've there's some new and exciting announcements coming up for the end of the year with. I don't know what I'm allowed to say about it and what I'm not. <laughs> but there's all these things going on in the background and these are great opportunities and you're super excited, but you are buried right now. And that's having an impact on, on how you feel on your bike. Yeah. And the reason I want to talk about this is because there's like a lot, there's a lot of people that I look up to and they seem to be doing everything. Like specifically, I love like right now I'm really into podcasting. So I'm looking up to these podcasters who also are running a really strong personal brand. People like Lewis Howes which I would absolutely love to meet him. Rich Roll, there's a guy named Aubrey Marcus who runs on it. And these like these guys all seem to be doing everything. And like Danica Patrick, like they have their own clothing line. They got a, a, a podcast, they're running a business, like they're doing retreats, they're writing books, they're doing everything. And that's what I'm aspiring to do. And it's like, how are they doing that? And they're not professional athletes. So I have to always remind myself of that, but it doesn't matter. Like that's not an excuse. And I just wish that they would tell talk about more what that's actually like, like how to stay grounded, how to stay balanced. It's a hundred percent overwhelming for anybody who's trying to do that. Like it doesn't matter what your level of success is. So, so yeah, unfortunately I got like a sinus infection uh, from the plane and I don't know what my deal is this year, why I can't seem to stay healthy, which is super frustrating, but I basically like couldn't train again for a couple of weeks. And every time I've gone out on my bike, it just, I haven't felt super strong and it's hard when your identity and in some ways, your ego is tied into being a fast, I'm doing air quotes, a fast athlete. And it's hard to see everybody else. Again, like comparison is terrible because you're comparing yourself to everybody and you're just like, here I am again, like sick and not going fast and not recovering. And today I had, I, I was riding and I was hoping that I would get in like a quality interval workout because I don't know why I decided, I think I'm going to do sea otter cross country because I'm going to be there and it'll be like, something fun to do, but I'm going to get killed because I'm basically just doing recovery rides all the time, <laughs> but you just, you have to respect your body and I can't force it to feel good. I can rest and I, I haven't been riding very much. And when I do ride, the pace is like super, super slow. So I just want people to know that like when you're looking at my Instagram and it looks like I'm riding all these trails and I'm killing it. The reality is like, I'm probably riding for an hour to an hour and a half. There's one trail open and I'm pretty fatigued. So that's like the reality. But today I started getting mad about it. I was on my ride and it's like, God, like I'm riding up this hill and it hurt, my legs hurt. I'm not even like, I'm not even going very hard and I'm just struggling to make it up like every hill. Like, what is my deal? And then I had to be honest with myself and I had to say like, look, 
there's a lot of things going on. You have a finite amount of energy. And I don't feel like tired, sleepy tired, but you have a finite amount of energy that your nervous system can handle. And you can only hack it so much with sleep and nutrition and acupuncture and all the little things that you're trying to do to get that extra 1%. So you have to just respect that. So I had to say to myself, okay, like it would be awesome to go back to what I was doing in December of being like a quote professional athlete where my number one priority is training and recovery and doing an amazing job with that. Cause I'm not doing an amazing job with that. What I am doing though, is focusing on all these other aspects of my business that I love. Like I don't feel sorry for myself that I'm working 12 to 14 hours a day. And I don't think that's for everybody. And also I want to preface this with, I think that we champion like, oh, like wearing this badge of honor because I'm working so much. It's like, well, really, you're probably not that healthy. (laughs) It's not healthy to work that hard. And I know I'm rambling, but the reality is if you're going to work really hard on other things and give your energy to other things, it's an unreal expectation to show up on your bike as a professional athlete and think that you're going to be fast and you're going to have a lot to give to your workout because you're not. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a challenge for a lot of uh, athletes that aren't professional athletes is they're balancing their jobs and their families and they're expecting they can go out and maybe train like a professional or perform like a professional. But the reality is you can't. There's, There's only so many hours in the day where you can dedicate focused energy to. And if that is, you know, nine to 10 hours at your job at the office and you want to go home and have a three hour training session and expect that you're going to kill it, it's something's going to give. So you have to have a bit of a balance. And again, when you're working that those hours, you're working 10 plus hours a day on a desk or behind a desk, and then you're out there training, it's it's just not going to be ideal. And that's part of the trade though. Like if you love what you do, whether you're, you know, a professional athlete or a bookkeeper or whatever, if you love what you do and you enjoy working, that's awesome. But we talked about this a little bit earlier is as long as you're not trading something, you're not willing to trade. So if you're consciously giving up time with family or time with friends or something that you really care about, but you're willing to do that for a very short amount of time to get you somewhere, that's okay. It's when you're inadvertently doing that or you can't stop yourself from trading things that are important to you that it becomes negative. And that's why I think you said championing. Championing. Yes, that was <laughs> Thank you. The cause of why I work so hard, I work so hard. Well, that's fine as long as you're not doing it, you know, without being conscious of it. Yeah, conscious of what you're you're choosing to give up and like what brings you joy. And it's been interesting for me over the years because, I, and I've mentioned this before just briefly, that it used to be that I wanted to just go fast on my bike. Like my goal was to go fast, to win races and to become a pro and to travel the world. And like, that was my goal. And it's amazing. I'm so incredibly lucky. I, I can't even believe that I'm living the life that I'm living. Like it's insane. But my joy is no longer like, I love winning races, but my joy, what gets me up in the morning, what makes me happy to keep doing this isn't all in for the racing, like in the the first place position. Like I love, again, I love racing. I'm, I'm super competitive. I want to win every race and I love winning every race, but that's not my number one priority anymore, which is crazy because I'm still training and, and I'm still trying to win every race. But I love doing all the other projects that I have because my number one priority now is creating content and giving information to help people get on the path that they want to get on. Because for me, it's, it's been life changing. And I really think that people can live the life that they want. It doesn't have to be biking, but they can live the life that they want. But you have to do, period. You have to take action and you have to make choices and You have to be aware of what you're doing and and you have to be willing to make those sacrifices and decide. So yeah, that's why I'm doing all of this. And it just keeps evolving. And this is like the curse of being, quote, an entrepreneur is you're never satisfied. And this this might just be the curse of being a human being is that like for me in in business, it's like once I figure something out, I'm on to the next thing and I'm on to the next thing. And then I'm trying to like do everything and I have my hand in every and it appears that I'm like doing everything but really it's like I'm stretched super thin and I'm trying to figure out like what's the best way to do this because there's a lot of things that I love and I want to do everything. Like I wish that I could take some magic pill and just never have to sleep. That way I could do it all because I would love it. But the reality is, is that's not going to happen. And there's a certain point where you break. Like there's a certain point where you cannot add in anymore. And that is my main frustration is I'm trying to add in all these things because I absolutely love it. 
But now something is starting to go it's, and it's my training and I have to slow myself down somehow so that I can actually be a professional athlete at the same time doing all these other things. So, so yeah, like if you're watching me and you're like, oh my God, like she's doing everything, like it's not as good as it looks. Like there's a lot of ups and downs along the way and a lot of things that I'm choosing to give up like social life, but I need to bring that back because today on my bike ride, I thought, okay, like what would happen if I died tomorrow. And this was the first time ever where I actually felt like I would have a regret. Like, I'm really thankful that I've lived my life in a way that I wouldn't have any regrets. But my regret tomorrow would be that I didn't spend enough time with my friends and my family. So yeah, so now I know that I'm making these trades right now. I know that I'm giving up my social life and it's hard, but I, I can't stop myself. So I actually was talking with Dr. Kristen, my sports psychologist, like, do I have a workaholism addiction? Because I love working and sometimes I love it more than seeing my friends and like, that's bad. <laughs> Maybe your friends just suck. I don't know. No. no whoever you are that are Sonia's friends, I was joking. Uh, uh, no. Yeah. It's again, being conscious and making a trade willingly and hopefully not for a long period of time because everybody sometimes has deadlines. Everybody sometimes has a push or something they're trying to achieve. And I think the whole concept of balance is just ridiculous. Like there's no magical balance point where I perfectly balance my work and my, my fitness and my family. It doesn't exist. So you're constantly out of balance and you're trying to get back and let it swing the other way. And so there's probably going to come a time when, and I know that we've had this conversation when you're like, wow, I just did two weeks of 20 hours a day. This is so boring. Or 20, 20, yeah, two 20 so hour training two weeks. Two 20 hour training weeks. Like, this is like, how can you just do this? This is like the most boring thing ever. I, I get mad because I'm like, I need to do something else. Like, I don't want to just ride my bike. <laughs> and then you get to this point where you're like, oh my God, all I'm doing is working. I wish I could be a real athlete and have some time. And then you're like, oh God, I'm not an athlete anymore. So it just, it can, it, it toggles back and forth. And I think everybody goes through that, but to not assign the stress that goes with that of, oh, I'm so out of balance. I'm a horrible person. I need to find this magical balance. Well, no. You've just let it swing. The pendulum's gone a little bit too far one way and it's time to bring it back. And I think that's natural. And you interviewed some guys at the Office of Peak Performance and they probably had a lot of comments around stress and rest and recovery and how to, <laughs> how to maintain that peak. Isn't like you're there all the time. You create a situation of stress, allow your body to recover and go back at it whether it's mental, creative or physical. Yeah, and they say have the courage to rest. But what does rest mean? Well, rest doesn't mean not riding and now I'm going to work a crazy amount of hours. Like rest means you're doing something fun that has nothing to do with work, which is hard whenever your passion and your work are the same thing. Yeah. And you're lucky if you have that. So, so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I actually want to talk about like people are probably thinking, what, what about your relationship with your husband? Like you're traveling everywhere, you're doing all these things. And as a racer, like the stereotype of a racer is that racers are selfish and it's all about them all the time, which I kind of feel like it is about me most of the time. So I actually said to Matt before we started recording that I was gonna ask him about this. And and I said to him like, how does it feel to always have it be about me all the time? Because I feel like it is. Yeah, and, and my comment was, well, it's not. And I think it's interesting as a supportive spouse and, and vice versa, when it comes to this part of our lives, both my passion and my enjoyment is, is cycling and, and, and training and racing. And I love that stuff, but I'm not a professional, never have been, but I enjoy that, it's fun. But my career is very much all-encompassing for myself. Yeah, so, and, and tell people what your career is because they might not know what you do. So I'm a financial advisor and I run one of the bigger firms in Canada. Uh, we have multiple partners, a big staff, thousands of clients, and we're constantly growing and evolving as a firm. So we're trying to bring in new clients, of course. We're trying to bring in new advisors and we're trying to stay ahead of the curve with the industry, what's happening, what's changing. And I am incredibly engaged in that. I'm lucky to have a great team around me and I'm very, very involved. So while when we talk about this part of our world, it's all about you, we do a lot of things that are for my world. We travel for, to my conferences. We work some of our trips and races around those as well. So it's, I would say, I don't know if equal, because I don't know how we would ever get to equal in general, but I would say that, no, I don't feel like it's all about you. I feel when it comes to building your business and you're racing, it is all about you. But when it's about my business, it's all about me and you're equally supportive for me. So I, I don't feel that I've been left out or left behind. Yeah, and Matt is, is very humble about how we describe what he does. Like he's the CEO of this company. He basically created a new business structure that didn't really exist before and has been figuring out how to make it work and has been doing an incredible job. So like for him, 
He's a financial advisor, and the job of a financial advisor is to help people make good investments and plan for their future and and that type of thing. But he's also running a business, and that's a different thing, like learning how to manage people, manage a team, how to like deal with all these different things. And he's that's that's been a major growing growth curve for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's personal growth as well. So there's the, the X's and O's part of knowing how to be a good financial advisor, which is always challenging. And then there's the entrepreneurial part. How do you structure a business? How do you build partnerships? How do you build systems and processes? How do you build teams? And those are pretty universal when it comes to business and entrepreneurship, whether you're selling widgets, whether you're a financial planner, whether you're running a retail company, a lot of those skills overlap and they're really fun and really interesting to learn for me. So again, it's almost like having two jobs. You're being a financial advisor and then you've got to be you know, learning how to develop a business and grow a business. And um, so it's exciting and you and I connect over that a lot. We talk about what's going on in my business and how that relates to your businesses and how my structures might be different or similar to yours and where they each might be able to help each other. So we really do get to connect in a way that's interesting for both of us. And it's not just talking about Sonia's businesses because there's a lot of mm. connection between the two. <laughs> yeah, and I also think that we're both lucky that we are both going after a similar goal. Like we are essentially startups. Well, we're, we're both like a few years in now, so it's not the beginning of a startup, but we're both trying to grow a business and we're both willing to, and we want to put in the work, which is awesome. Like you work till 7.30, I work till 7.30. And, and that's awesome because it would be hard if one person wasn't as supportive, if one person was sitting around saying like, gosh, like, why are you working so much? Why are you doing this? And I, I wish that you would spend more time with me or I wish that we could do more together. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I'll go to conferences and, and have you know exposure to these wonderful speakers, maybe more specifically to financial planning, but the speakers will give us all kinds of amazing insights that we can both use. And one of the first people that I heard, uh, not maybe one of the first people, one of the most influential people I heard at the conference was a fellow named Sean Acor. And he was talking about happiness and his book is called The Happiness Advantage and how your brain is 20% smarter than your brain when you're neutral. So you are just smarter when you're happier. And what a great thing that is. So you're, now he's talking about employees. Your employers are better and faster and smarter when they're happy. So what a cool thing to focus on building a business where everyone's happy because they're better and smarter. So that was a big movement for both of us to start looking into positive psychology and all kinds of things. So there's a lot of crossover between what we do in, in our businesses. Yeah, and I think that this shows how important it is to have supportive people in your life. And like not everybody can have the supportive spouse that they want, like that doesn't always work out that way. And hopefully it does, but we're both incredibly lucky that we have each other as a support network. And it's important to have somebody, at least one person who can really be, number one, be honest with you, but number two, really like support you and empower you. And there's just no way that I would be where I am today without Matt and without Matt's support and without his encouragement, because sometimes somebody that isn't in exactly what you're doing can watch from the sideline and say, actually, you are doing a good job or you can do this. And it's hard to actually see it when you're in it because all you see is what you're striving for instead of what you've actually done. And I think it helps having people that are in different industries look and say, yeah, you know what? The expectation should be this for yourself, not that. Like maybe you can expect more out of yourself or maybe you should cut yourself a break. You've actually done amazingly well. Or you can take that idea here and apply it here and look how, look how that works. So it helps expand both of our minds and I wouldn't be where I am without your support either. And it's not just blind cheerleading, although that is nice that we both have each other's back no matter what, but it's from people we respect each other. We respect our professionalism and our backgrounds. And when one of us gives feedback, it's honest and direct. So it's critical, but supportive at the same time. And we're leveraging each other's because we have very different strengths when it comes to how we run our businesses, which is really nice. Yeah, and the last point that I want to make before we wrap this up is how important it is <laughs> to be honest with yourself. Like self-honesty, like taking personal responsibility for yourself is really hard to do. And in order to take personal responsibility, you have to be 100% honest as best you can with yourself. And man, it's hard to look in the mirror sometimes and look in there and be honest. Yeah, you have to take responsibility for the good and more importantly, for the things that don't go right, because that's where the opportunity to learn is. And sometimes that's hard. And we bring that back to racing. Like, you know, you had a tough race in Andalusia and you look at okay, what went wrong and why did it go wrong? 
And you sometimes it's like, oh, okay, shoot, I shouldn't have done that. And it's hard to not just go, well, you know, it was this, this, this or this. It's taking responsibility. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like not being a victim of your own circumstances. And whenever you stop doing that, you actually get your power back. And then you're like, oh, I can do whatever I want. And that's how you make changes in your life. That's how that's how I've done everything that I've done is taking the control and saying, okay, I get to make that choice and nobody else is going to make that for me. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of interesting. We live, we are so, all of us that live in North America are so lucky that we really and truly within some constraints can do anything we want. I mean, if we want to put in the work, we want to put in the effort, there's very little that we're not able to do within our amount of time and energy we want to put into something. And that doesn't mean we just can sit back and wish and say, I want this to happen and want this to happen. But there's a lot of places where you don't have that opportunity where, you know what, I'm going to be this and I'm just going to outwork everyone, be smarter than them, look for mentorship, whatever it is, and go that way. So we're pretty lucky we get to do that. And you and I both get to support one another's dreams in going that direction, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So like the road isn't always smooth or downhill, but it, and it's bumpy, but that's what makes it interesting. I heard on a podcast today, it was Lewis Howes and Aubrey Marcus, and it was well, what would happen if all of all the challenges and everything were taken away? And Aubrey Marcus said, well, if that happened, it'd be like a video game and you're playing this video game and it'd be like all the boss, like all the bad guys, the boss of the level or whatever got taken away. Well, the video game would be pretty dang boring if everything was perfect all the time and the challenges are what make it interesting. And I think he just said that so well, and I wish I could take credit for that, but I can't, I'll give it to him. But I wanted to repeat that because I think that that was a really, really powerful thing with how he said it, because it's so true. So yeah, I think that that's a really great place to leave it. And yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for everybody on Instagram who's watching. That's right. This Instagram live worked out. I wish I could have responded to, or that we could have responded to all of your comments, but we are recording the podcast actually. So you can replay this later if you're watching right now live. (laughs) I hope those crocodile tears dried up okay over there, Reggie. (laughs) (laughs) Woo-wee, that episode was almost like therapy in a way. But thanks again to Matt for coming on the show. And hopefully it wasn't too disruptive for you guys with the Instagram live going in the background. It was really fun to see people respond live while we were recording this. But I know that some of the top podcasters are actually doing live shows where they're going places and recording podcasts with guests with a live audience. And I think that that could be really fun to try at some point. There's some pretty heavy topics in today's episode, but I really wanted to be 100% transparent, honest, and vulnerable so that you can see what it really looks like. (laughs) And hopefully it wasn't too much, but uh, you always feel a little bit nervous after you pour out your soul and then you let everybody listen to it. So hopefully it was helpful for you guys. At the time this podcast comes out, we will be just finishing up a few days in Squamish riding. And those are some of my favorite trails. And we haven't gotten to do a ton of mountain biking here in the Okanagan this spring or pretty much none. So I'm really excited to get out there and ride. And after that, we're going to Orlando, Florida, because Matt has a work conference and we're taking our road bikes. I'm hoping to ride some roller coasters because those would be pretty fun. But I don't really know what to expect, but it's going to be a good time to see some sunshine and get some heat. And then the next trip after that will be sea otter. And speaking of sea otter, I will be handing out free Moxie and Grit stickers. That is my brand, Moxie and Grit. Go to moxieandgrit.com, M-O-X-Y-A-N-D-G-R-I-T.com to check out the newest sock designs. There's a new Do Epic Shit sock coming out. You've heard it here first. It's not actually available yet, and there's not even any pictures, but... It's going into production. It's going to be ready soon. So make sure you stay tuned for that and follow the Instagram Moxie and Grit, M-O-X-Y-A-N-D-G-R-I-T. That way you can see it whenever it comes out. Big thanks to those of you supporting my work on Patreon. Patreon is a site where you can support my work financially. That's always very helpful and it will help with the growth of the show. Last couple of announcements for you guys. If you want to sign up for my email newsletter, go to sonyalooney.com. I don't send them out very often because I actually don't like a lot of newsletters, but I'd say I send out one a month maybe with all the new episodes and some of the new things that are happening or product releases or even cool stories. 
the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group for the plant curious. <laughs> That's on Facebook. Everybody is welcome. Just go to Facebook and search Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney. There's almost a thousand people on there. So that's pretty cool. I'm trying to figure out exactly what to do with the page because I don't want it to be just me talking to everybody. And there's a lot of awesome dialogue, like people posting, people talking about things, whether it be training or recipes or whatever. But I'm wondering if I should be doing like a weekly video or something. So I'd love to hear your guys feedback on what you would like more of on the plant powered tribe. And again, you don't have to eat a plant based diet. You just have to want to add in more healthy food into your diet and just have people around you who are doing the same thing. Big thanks and big shout out to our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. Kuat Racks, I met the owner at the Washita Challenge about a decade ago. And I remember I was like, who are these cool guys? So it's really neat to be able to partner with them with my podcast and to try out their racks. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for telling your friends about it, guys. It means the world to me that you are listening to this and that it's making a difference. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you back here next week.